and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of the comics documentary Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We have a very special show for everybody, and we're going to dive right into it because we recorded our live panel at the National Cartoonist Society Rubin Award Weekend yeah. uh, this past week at, um, at New Jersey. And it, it, we're really excited for it because it's about an hour panel talk that we had with uh, Sarah Anderson of Sarah Scribbles, Cryptid Club, and Fangs, who we would found to be just delightful and chock-a-block of cartooning knowledge. Absolutely. And the outgoing NCS president, Jason Chatfield, whose work you've seen all over, including The New Yorker and uh, the Australian comic strip, Ginger Megs. So without further ado, let us dive right into that live panel. So today we're going to have two wonderful people join us up on stage. Brad, do you want to tell who's going to join us first? Oh, we're so excited. We're going to have Jason Chatfield, outgoing president of the NCS, who's done an amazing job during a very difficult time of the NCS. And then we're going to have the great Sarah Anderson from Sarah Scribbles joining us after that. We're very excited to have you too, Sarah. And we're going to get things started, and I think let's just bring Jason right up. Yeah, Jason, by the way, a round of applause for all of his hard work making this year and the pre previous years happen. Yeah, have a seat. Yeah, the mic's not on there. Hello, so, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us, my friend. Let me ask you first, how does a cartoonist end up from Perth in New York? <laughs> how, what's, what's the journey there? How does one do that? I took the wrong bus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I've been a cartoonist my whole life. Um, I've never done anything else, really. I mean, with a, a short stint in printing <laughs> and then doing cartoons at night um, after my day job. Uh, it, it was something uh, I always wanted to do. I was lucky when I was a kid. I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do as a, as a job. Yeah. And uh, I say a job because there were no jobs in Perth. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I didn't go to college. I went into cartooning and I've, I've been doing it. I'm 38, I've been doing it my whole life. And found huge success in Australia. I think I can say that from, as someone from Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, well, I'm, what I'm saying is very little news travels to the U.S., but when you took over Ginger Megs, oh. uh, that was a big deal, right? I yeah. mean, for American audiences, describe for people what that meant for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like taking over peanuts. I mean, it, it was huge. It's like a, uh, Ginger Megs is a, it's a 102-year-old legacy strip. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's had five, four other artists before me. started in 1921. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's like a little red-headed kid. He's like Australia's Dennis the Menace, but he predates him by about 60-odd years. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I took that over. And, and then how did you, uh, when and how did you decide, I'm going to start making the leap north? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start making a trip or sending some files 
uh, to editors in New York or yeah. was that what it was? It was uh, what it was. I, I came to America when I was like nine years old and I fell in love with it. Yeah. Wow. Um, We're lovable. I mean, come on. <laughs> L.A. I went to L.A. Yeah. Um, my, yeah. My, my mom and aunt took me to Disneyland. Me and my sister Disneyland. But we I, there was something about the uh, I don't know. I know it sounds trite, but opportunity that's felt limitless in Australia. There's very much a ceiling on what you sure. can do. Sure. And but that's partly uh, due to just the small population, mm. um, but also it, it is a cultural thing as well. They really don't put any emphasis or importance on art in their culture, and it's the first thing to get cut in every budget, yeah. um, including newspapers especially. But um, yeah, and, and I guess here it felt like there was, there was more breadth for me to kind of try different things. So I used to come over every year uh, I'd save up all of my money and I would come over every year. I'd come to the Rubens wow. and then I'd stay for a month. I'd do like open mics in New York and I'd hang out in LA. I'd, I'd meet other cartoonists and just like ask them. It's the best education you can get. Just asking other cartoonists, like, what do you do? How, well, like what pen are you using? Like what yeah. tablet? All that stuff. I just, that's what I did for years and years. Yeah. I, until I eventually moved here 10 years ago. <laughs> Well, and now, I mean, you've just come off of a four-year stint running the whole works. And for this podcast goes out to professionals, pro-ams, amateurs. Mm -hmm. Would you describe for the world what the NCS is as you see it? As I see it, the NCS is the one and only sort of consistent body of working cartoonists in the world um, that has kind of um, cultivated and recorded what what this industry is over time. Um, and I think uh, going, going back to 1946 when it started, it was a kind of, I don't want to say exclusionary, but it was exclusive. Yeah. Uh, and it did have... Uh, you know, we've, we've still got some pretty bad PR to undo on 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 the sort of old boys front club, but uh, uh, club front. But it, it does it, it does have um, it has good bones. You know, the NCS yeah. was put together for a really good reason. Yeah, and um, and those reasons are still a part of the um, uh, the bylaws and everything that sort of governs why the NCS is and what it does. Um, it's a place for cartoonists to come together and share knowledge, um, to celebrate each other's work, to like in earnest actually um, uh, judge um, everyone's work every year in the different disciplines of cartooning yeah. to kind of keep a record of who's working and, and who's doing well. And, and, and how your peers actually feel about that work, you know. That's a really important thing that um, I didn't used to honestly think there was that much value in it. I thought awards were kind of silly and whatever. But I, over time, I've realized just how valuable that record is. Yeah. Uh, so that's the NCS. Yeah. Well, one thing that I've noticed and, uh, in the, the years that I've been, the short years that I've been coming to the Rubens is this year especially, I felt so many of the seminars and talks were... Um, sort of a news you can use seminar, yeah. very utilitarian, very yeah. like you're great at what you do. How can you get better? How can right. you get better at business? How can you get better at art? How can you get better in your line work? How can you get and a lot of the conversations around that and that yeah. I found invaluable. Didn't you, Brad? This, this oh, is your yeah, first room. Really. So, this, is, this is where you can really get into the weeds, right? This yeah. is where you really dig down deep. Yep. Get very esoteric and very, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Right. So now, Jason, you've been an NCS chairman, obviously during a, a very difficult time, right? When we've talked about that uh, before and and rewriting the bylaws and so yeah. forth. Where do you see the NCS going next? Where wh What's the future of the NCS? Um, well, not to preempt your next guest, 
But uh, Sheena Wolf actually facilitated a phone call between uh, an introduction between me and Sarah Anderson a while back. And she was incredibly generous. We were on the phone for like for a long, long time, hours, <laughs> a long time. And she was incredibly generous and candid in sort of sharing what would be of value to people once they actually got to the NCS? What right. would be of utility? Like the seminars that we right. put together. Mm -hmm. um, what would people actually want to get out of being a part of an organization like this? Right. And that dictated my sort of agenda for the for the NCS. People like Nick Selleck yep. and Sarah Anderson. Scott Kurtz has been really helpful as well. He's mm -hmm. setting up our new Discord channel, our server. Um, uh, just people who are have been traditionally outside of uh, the NCS looking in. Um, it was really important to just get a really honest assessment of what that is. And so we have changed a lot of what the NCS um, has been doing to stop those people from being able to be part of this community. So yeah, yeah I think that that's where it goes forward is, is, is taking on board. There's still a lot of work to do. Um, and Karen is the perfect person to, uh, Karen's the incoming president of the NCS. She is the exact person the NCS needs right now to carry forward the things we've started um, with sort of being able to be more inclusive and more encouraging and of more utility to cartoonists who don't work in traditional media. Right, yeah. right. Well, that's probably the perfect transition to, well, please stay Absolutely. on stage no, sure. to welcome our next uh, guest up on the stage, Sarah Anderson of Sarah Scribbles, Sarah of Cryptid Club and of Fangs. Uh, and Sarah, you might need to turn on that microphone there with apologies. Uh, Sarah, first of all, thank you for joining us. Uh, congratulations on being awesome. That's a wonderful thing to be in life. Uh, uh, this is our first time chatting with Sarah on the podcast, and so we have a million questions. But first of all, do you want to talk about that conversation with Jason? You guys can chime in and what, you, what your thoughts were as a, as a, uh, a younger cartoonist, seeing what you saw and, and what you would like to see out of the NCS. Yeah, I was so grateful for that conversation because I have always adored the NCS, but I think a lot of a lot of millennials and Gen Z didn't really know how to go about joining and there were some roadblocks. And so I just love that you as president came in and came to us and asked us what we needed. And I think you know, the cartooning world has changed so much with the advent of the internet and web comics that the entire system for having this job can now take many different routes. And so we're, we're now this like hybrid industry of cartoonists who all work in very different ways. And I think um, Jason was very cognizant of that and cognizant of how much this world is changing. And yeah, I really appreciated that call. It was great. Yeah, there was uh, both sides. There was, I, I know that there's a group of cartoonists who, who have sort of talked over time about um, just the industry at large and all kinds of things, but also just organizations and comic cons and, and, and expos and things like that, that uh, it's invaluable stuff that everyone's just very honest about it. And um, it's kind of reminiscent of like the zine and underground comics with an X scene, yeah. the web comics, except they're much more encouraging of each other. Right. Yeah. Less, well, what, less lone wolves. All I think all four of us have found this in our career is that cartooning less than it ever was, if, if at all anymore, is not a zero-sum game. Right. For me to succeed doesn't mean Sarah has to fail, and for Jason to succeed doesn't mean Brad has to fail. We can all share our best practices, and there is more than enough audience in the world online and from the things that come from online yeah. that I, I have barely scratched the potential audience I could hit. And with the friendship here and in cartooning in general in the NCS, we can share those best practices. One of the reasons why we do this podcast is to be able to say, hey, 22-year-old, learn from us. Like, yeah. if I can save you a year of trouble of going down the wrong path, 
how great. And I've seen both of you do that in your careers, yeah. paying it forward and sending the ladder back down. And that's been a wonderful thing to see uh, in the last couple of years with the NCS. So thank you for that. I appreciate yeah. that. You're welcome. My so no, here's a question that I always love asking. What, Sarah, what brought you to cartooning? What was your early, uh, the first moment that you knew, this is something that is for me? The honest answer is my father. You know, he was a huge comics person. And one thing that's amazing about him is he has this great sense of humor, too. So he was always kind of like sliding me Calvin and Hobbes and Gary Larson. <laughs> and he was kind of training me young to like be funny uh, without knowing it. And I just so I had a I had knowledge and passion about comics from a very early age and from some of the classics like Gary Larson to me just still holds up as just it holds up so well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that introduction and early childhood um, encouragement really led me down the path. And I, I was super into like Japanese comics when I was a teenager. And then I went to art school. So kind of um, like what you said, I've also always been doing comics. Like I haven't yeah. ever done anything else. <laughs> and, and you went to school at Maryland uh, uh, School of Design, right? Uh, yeah, Maryland Institute College of Art. I knew it's I was a, missing a, a word one, yeah. in there. <laughs> so you went to school and then you, uh, you, you had a transition. You were a barista for a little while. When did you know that this was picking up, that this was something that was going to be a thing for you when did you when was that moment for you so the comic actually started becoming succe successful in terms of likes and follows in college but because it was a web comic and it was i believe 2013 2014 there was no way of monetizing it yet yeah. like yeah. patreon didn't exist i wasn't working with a publisher yet uh, which led me to my barista year <laughs> um so so i had enough success that i kind of knew i could maybe do something because i was like i have a pretty decent following like this has to be able to turn into something but at the time there wasn't any sort of set system yet right so i was like just trying to find a way <laughs> to yeah. make it work. Yeah. We've said so many times that so many people that you might look at them at, at first blush and say, oh my gosh, overnight success, right? 2013, by my math, that's 10 years. Liberal arts math, that works. I think, <laughs> I think a room of liberal arts majors, I think, I think you're onto something there, Brad. Yeah, that's, that's amazing to me that, yeah. that, that, that you had that stick to itiveness and that it came out through that process. That's really amazing. Well, one thing, and this is to your credit, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, is that so many people online can have a following of a million, two million, three million people, but they can't actualize their readership. You know, right. like you see their Patreon has a dollar or mm -hmm. their books don't move. What do you think, I, I, th I think I have an answer for it, but what do you think your success has been in terms of taking this wonderfully passionate, loved audience and getting them into, there's now four collections of Sarah Scribbles, right? Into Cryptid Club, into Fangs. What's been, what's been your secret, do you think, to getting people to help support your career? Hmm, <laughs> good question. I mean, I think... I, I have a genuine passion for what I do, so I, I think you touched on some of the social media stuff before, that I think, I, I know deep down that like social media likes and followers, follows is not like a, a perfect translation to success, and that you really have to have a love of what you do and reach your audience in a way that sort of speaks to their soul. Yeah. And it's exactly like what you were saying, like having millions of followers doesn't necessarily mean that your work um, has reached people in their hearts. 
and it's really about creating work that you feel genuinely passionate about. And I really care about my output. Like there's a lot of relatable comics and I think relatability is amazing, but I also try not to write specifically in order to get a bunch of likes. I try to write in a way that I feel create something that might actually connect with people, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Well, the three of us were talking before you joined us this morning. The three, Jason, Brad, and I were talking about how, um, having been a trained artist, you made such a great conscious choice to make Sarah Scribbles um, intentionally minimalist, and how powerful that could be. And you know, McLeod talks about that range of iconicity to realism, and how you are so much more relatable in your writing because yes. of the iconicity. You mind talking about that for a second? Yes, I actually, I'm working on a fifth book for Sarah Scribbles right now, and I am writing essays for it. And I wrote a whole essay about simplicity. Um, and I realized through writing that, that simplicity is truly an art form. You know, I had been at art school for four years. I was doing a lot of realism and I had reached the point where I was a decent figure drawer. I was a decent renderer. And then when it came time to draw a comic, I was just atrocious. Like my, my early Sarah scribbles, it's like, I can see why people thought I didn't have any art background. Um, I did have an art background, but I didn't have a background in simplicity yet. So I really learned that getting those, getting those lines right and those expressions and having a confident, steady hand, it is so hard. And yeah. it, it truly is an art form. And it took me, I think, I, I don't start, when I look back at my work, I don't start liking the line quality until around 2020. So that's about 10 years of cartooning until I found the confidence in my hand. So people, it's a misconception that because something is simple, that it's easy. It's, it's all cartoonists in here. I'm sure yeah. you know, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. We, further to what we were saying is that it takes so much more discipline yes. to not draw lines than to just fill it with, McNally-esque hatching and things like that. You uh, you said that you adore the NCS for a long time. The people in the NCS talk behind your back in the best possible way about this exact thing yeah. because people who work know yeah. how deliberate that choice is yeah. and they notice. Yeah. And if Thank you, you. want to see versatility, I got to tell you, you see Sarah Scribbles uh, a lot on Instagram is where I see you an awful lot. If you want to see versatility, check out uh, your other book, which is called Fangs. It's about a vampire that falls in love with a werewolf. And oh, and by the way, you had me on panel one. <laughs> you you, you want to talk? I, I, I'm a, I love a good pun that they meet at a place called the auditorium, O-D-D, -D, auditorium. And when I saw that on panel one, I was like, this is it. This is this is it. this is going to be the greatest thing. Uh, but the line work, talk about the going from Sarah Scribbles to Fangs and that completely different, not only writing style, but a different style of art as well. Yeah. Um, so actually, the auditorium is a real place. It's really? in Asheville. Yeah. And I, I built the story kind of around this one little bar. Like oh I, I wrote a lot of it because it's this macabre goth bar. Does it have the wall painting of Bella Lugosi? No, I added oh, that. that I added <laughs> very nice touch. Um, but yeah, shout out to the auditorium. Yeah, so Fangs is, um, it's, the style is a lot closer to what I was working on in art school. So I was really grateful to be able to have that background to pull from. And the sense of humor 
it's a bit more macabre and I would actually say Fangs is probably like closest to my soul because it has a bit of like darkness that doesn't necessarily come out in Sarah Scribbles, but I had always been like I'd been a goth kid in art school. I'd always yeah. been like a little creeper. <laughs> um, and, and then I had this idea, and it was a chance to bring out my background. Basically. Yeah. Well, J- Jason and I were talking beforehand, and maybe this question is better from Jason, I don't know, but we were talking about how, uh, how brave that kind of artistic yes. choice yeah. is because to have established yourself and to found a footing and found an audience that clearly resonates with us. Maybe you wanted to speak to this, Jason. No, I don't know. You, you said it very well yourself. Is, is it actually, it's very brave. It takes courage to do that. A lot of people find a thing and then it hits and then they're scared to change it because they don't want to, they don't want to get outside of that, whatever's working. Yeah. But Sarah is, it's like a musician becoming a novelist and then becoming a, like it's, it's, it's genuinely courageous, I think, artistically, to, to actually go all in on, on doing that. Yeah, I mean, did editors come to you and be like, well, hold on, Sarah, maybe not, maybe not the fangs. Was there a discussion about that at all, about how, how uniquely big a step away it was from Sarah Scribbles? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I expected it to completely flop. Um, I, I was actually shocked. I, I believe Things is actually my bestseller compared to Sarah Scribble. Really? So, really? Yeah. And, but people don't associate it with me because they, they really associate it with sure. the, me with the Sarah Scribble style. So I basically, I just, I loved the idea so much. Um, and I really wanted to pursue it as an artistic challenge. So I, I sort of, I, I believe I went to my publisher and kind of was like, and I'll, I'll do another Sarah Scribbles book and I'm not leaving Sarah Scribbles, but I want to do this, this little number. Can you just <laughs> let me do this? And they were supportive. And I, I basically expected it to just be like a side passion project. And it wasn't. It was the biggest success I've had so far. And that reaction has just meant so much to me. Who was your editor on that? Lucas. Lucas Wetzel. Lucas Wetzel, yeah. 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 Well, here's my question. Oh, go ahead. Because I've... (laughs) Again, you had... There's a page in the book, the vampire falls in love with a werewolf. She's deciding whether to date him. She's making in her her sketchbook uh, uh, a pros and cons list. The left-hand page says, eat him. The right-hand page says, date him. <laughs> Again, you had me, right? It's so dark, the question yeah. is, I've got, I've got to know, does that mean there's going to be a follow-up book to Fangs? Is there going to be more to the series? How, how does, where does this go next? So for all of my series, I, I want to continue, but I want to continue in a different format. So for Fangs, I really wanted to adapt it for TV or live action, and I... I'm sure anyone in this room or maybe you guys who who have been through the TV slash movie process knows that it is damn near impossible. So I have a whole pilot. I have a Bible. I wrote the first episode. Like, I pursued it for so long. Um, So I think for for all of my projects, Fangs, Cryptid Club, like, I would love to continue. But I think book form is is not where I see that continuation. But, yes, somebody Um, let me make a show. (laughs) There's a guy in the back. Our souls, all right. (laughs) To the lady on stage, a new show. We're coming this fall. But even the choice of doing that cloth wrap with the black embossing on that cover is not a choice that a lot of marketing would make anymore, you know, and because it's a very Victorian feel. So perfect for the style of the book. Did you at all have to get any pushback on that as well? Or were they all in on 
on the book cover design as well. I, I was really lucky that my uh, editor, Lucas Wetzel, was very supportive of it. And he, he was actually the one that decided on the black page tint that, oh, yeah. that makes the, the page edges look black. So I think he, he also had a, an enthusiasm for it that I was really grateful for. Yeah. And your inner 15 goth was great. Oh, yeah, great yeah, black pages. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So uh, going back to uh, your third project, Cryptid Club, which again has this very sense of the macabre, the sense of, of, of mythological creatures. Uh, uh, so again, I'm sorry, I'm giving all your best punchlines away, but if you allow me to fanboy just one last time, because Dave knows this, when you see a joke that you're like, why didn't I think of that? There was a Kraken saying, release the Kraken. And the scene widens out, and there's a larger Kraken saying, Benjamin, you're still on timeout. <laughs> and I'm like, that's brilliant. How come I can't do yeah. that? Um, so talk about Cryptid Club, and you're, you're clearly your love of Halloween, okay. macabre, goth. Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, so I, I had been wanting to do something with cryptids for years because I love cryptids. Like it's, it's also like a childhood love of mine. And I was just like, how do I do this? Like, do I write a children's book about Mothman? Like, how? And then one day I was like, oh, just, just write a comic series about all of them. Um, put them all together. And yeah, it, it was actually, I think that was the easiest project I've ever done because I didn't necessarily have to create characters. I just took what existed in the lore, in the culture, yeah. and sort of fine-tuned it a bit to my yeah. sense of humor. So it was basically like just taking all these pre-existing characters and being like, what if, and then just... Yeah. Writing. It's so, great that there's one there's one cryptid that you taught me about in that book. It was the walkers, what the Cleveland walkers yeah, or the uh, what what are those? The, the Fresno Nightcrawlers. The Fresno yeah. Nightcrawlers. <laughs> it's the most like Fresno type thing. Oh yeah, the yeah, the, the crawl. It's, it's great. I loved it. But so now it, I want to switch gears in terms of asking about your process. Yeah. Have you have you ever thought as you you're now in going into the second decade of your career? bringing in assistance, expanding the studio, that kind of thing? I mean, do, do you have plans for that kind of thing as the years go on? Um, so my drawing process is so simple and my writing process is so simple that I think I couldn't have an assistant even, even if I wanted to because I just sketch and then bring it to the Cintiq. Um, I don't think I need an assistant because I already have, I have agents that do like the the contract stuff and some email stuff, but I I don't know. I'm a pretty straightforward person, and I don't know that an assistant would have that much to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk process. What's your average day like in terms of your drawing? 
So I have like writing days and drawing days and I keep them kind of separate. Okay. And writing days, I cannot work without coffee. Like I'm such a <laughs> caffeine fiend and something about like having a cup of coffee and a sketchbook um, just works for me. And I, I keep my sketchbooks super messy. Some, I know, I know many cartoonists that have these beautiful sketchbooks and they're dated and they're organized. I just can't do that. Um, I need the messiness. I need to kind of not be thinking about how things look to get yeah. the idea to kind of come out. Um, and then the drawing process is also pretty straightforward. I work on a Cintiq and I'll, I'll take the sketch. Sometimes I'll photograph it or sometimes I'll just freehand it and that takes about like three three hours or so but the so the writing is the bulk of the process by far yeah, yeah that can take me all day sometimes more multiple days to come up with an idea that I feel comfortable with I actually want to turn it to you Jason because you're nodding very vociferously oh, to that you can I, tell that she spends a lot of time in the right but, but I'm curious yeah. what is just out of curiosity what yeah. is your process what's your average day this is gonna sound very silly but for 16 years I've been doing a daily and Sunday strip and the looming deadline. Anyone who's done that knows that looming cloud of that deadline. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, You have to build in rituals to mm. kind of game your mind into that. And the coffee and the sketchbook and all that stuff is exact. I, it, this is going to sound very silly. <clears throat> Scotch bath Sunday. I, Scotch bath Sunday? I think we'd all like to learn more about this. We're all leaning in I a accidentally bit. discovered that I'm really good at writing stuff when I'm in the bath on a Sunday with a sketchbook. <laughs> and one day my wife brought in a glass of scotch like I was <laughs> Dalton Trumbo or something. And I just, it, there was just some kind of magical whatever and it was replicable and so I just did that. Oh my this gosh. is the most Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> yeah. strategy for writing. I bring my shotgun and my whiskey into the hot tub and that's I do what I cocaine. do. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I do three bumps of cocaine and I'm off for a Sunday. There we go. I thought for sure Scotch Bath Sunday was some kind of Australian's euphemism, but it's just a, a, yeah. a Scotch in a bath on is, Sunday. There is one Australian saying that I taught Nick, I think, this week, which is when someone gets a little too arrogant and full of themselves, you say, oh, that guy drinks his own bath water. That is adjacent. You guys have the funniest saying. <laughs> so now we've been asking, we've been pulling a few people aside all weekend and asking them this question, and I really love this question. I want to ask each of you, starting with Sarah, and that is this. As professional creators, there are times that you have to create even though you don't feel creative, right? You've got to make lightning happen. And even though there might not be anything up here, if you're like me, there's nothing up here, but you, you got to make it happen. What do you do to make creativity happen when it just isn't happening? And Sarah, ideally, if you have a, could have an answer that doesn't involve scotch, that would be <laughs> ideal for, for the younger listeners. We can, we can edit out a separate version if it doesn't include Jason's answer. <laughs> no kidding, go ahead. Um, so when I was younger and I would get this question, I would tell people to just work through it. Like I would yeah. tell them to work through the art blocks. Don't do that. You will burn yourself out. Yes. Um, my answer to that is rest. And I know, I know I'm sort of privileged to be able to say that because I can give myself breaks, but uh -huh. that is the thing 
that works is we're we're not automatons we we need to recharge and i think that's where a lot of art blocks come from is being overwhelmed and stressed so rest and then get some coffee and, and try again <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, that's uh, i'm exactly the same that's the exact same advice i would give to any cartoonist is it's it's attempting to just load your schedule yeah. and just bury yourself in work yeah and it's that it makes sense when you're young to do that to to think that's how you do it it's it's counterintuitive there's two books that i would highly recommend one of them is drawing from within by nick meglin mm -hmm. oh, and, his, yeah. and his daughter diane um and the other one is by alex sujan kim pang and it's called rest and it is exactly to that point that um we're not designed to just go all the time it's like a cyclical thing you do need to unwind and rest yeah. in order to actually be creative and it's productive. It's very much like farming in the sense that you yep. cannot farm eternally. Yeah. You have to let exactly. the field go fallow sometimes and, and recharge it. Yeah, And go true. out and do something that makes you feel creative, right? Yeah. Whether it's taking a walk or yeah. seeing friends. Uh, there's something I liked about your answer, and that is that you kind of said, hey, it's okay to not feel it at that moment. It's a, and you need to take some time for self-care. There's so much of Sarah Scribbles that says it's okay to have a little anxiety. It's okay to feel insecure. Uh, I could imagine that your work reaches out and touches people in such a way that you get some really profound comments and responses from your readers. What's that, what's that like? I mean, it's... It's all I could ask for, and it's it's what I'm. My aim with the comic is to help people feel normal and to feel seen. Um, I think there's so much relatable content out there now, which is great. But back when I started in 2011, I think we were still fooling ourselves with mm -hmm. this like perfect veneer on social media, and I wanted to offer a counter perspective to that. So when people validate that and um, tell me that I have helped make them feel better. That's all I want. And yeah. it's incredible. It's, it's truly incredible. I'm very yeah. lucky. Well, somewhat related to that question in terms of the, the joy and the satisfaction in both of your processes, the writing, the penciling, the inking, the coloring, the final submission of the file, getting comments back. What is the single highest point for you? in your process? Is it pens down? Is it when the spark comes and you got to race to a notebook? Is it when you finally see it on a screen or a page? Is it what? Why don't you jump in first, Jason? Sure. Um, it's the doing. It's I lose time. I, I get in the zone yeah, and I yeah. just lose time. Yeah. And then I look up and it's like 5 p.m. And <laughs> when I put my head down, it was noon. Yeah. Bill Plimpton talked about this recently, how he just he gets up and he sits at his drawing board and he will, with great pleasure, draw for 12 hours at a time sometimes. Yeah. And he takes such joy in the doing of it that the product at the end is just gravy. That's It's the doing that is the joyful bit. And that's the advice I give to people when they ask uh, like advice on being a cartoonist is, well, don't do it for the adulation and praise or the, you know, whatever fame you think fame and success is, do it for the doing it and the process and become a sort of a, not a slave, but like a fan of process of that. Yeah. And I think, I think if you're really invested in the doing and, and challenging yourself and getting better at it, um, trying different tools and different processes and stuff like that. I'm a real process junkie. I, that's all I ever talk about to other cartoonists. But I think that is a good reason to do it. Um, and to Sarah's point, you know, when you get the feedback, it's really nice when you connect with people. 
Um, but the reaction, you know, if it's a bad reaction or a good reaction, the reaction doesn't belong to you. I mean, you did the work and you put it out. The reaction, it's lovely when it's nice. It's really good when you can. You said that earlier this week, and the reaction doesn't belong to you. Yes. And I, I think I've heard that somewhere in my life before, but yeah, I, really I don't think reson- I, I really resonated with that <sighs> because it's. We've all faced trolls and, and oh, haters yeah. online, sure. as big and as small as they can be. Yeah. But the idea that you can't control their reaction is a really powerful one for us all to kind of internalize and think about. Uh, yeah, I think the only, I don't, I don't want to claim that I made, I, I think I heard that somewhere, that's not me. Oh no, I'm not saying, yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying thank you for passing no, it no, along. No, no, sure. You know, I, I think the only one that I ever wrote myself and enjoyed uh, sort of how it sounded, <laughs> Um, is uh, don't curate your art to what gets likes, curate it to what you like. Because then you'll just find your people. Yeah, They'll just find you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's true, and this actually goes to the success any of us have found online, is it's odd that the closer we write to our heart, Mm -hmm. not at all thinking about what people are going to react to, that's oddly what resonates. You know, you're like, well, no one's going to like this weird 18th century joke that I'm making about yarn. Holy hell, the the world loved that joke. I I never would have thought about that, you know. But anyway, I I don't want to step on your chance to make that that answer for the earlier one about your favorite part of the process. The writing, the drawing, the inking, the coloring, the final product, what for you is the joy-filled moment? Yeah, so um, the cartoonist Sam Gross, who was in memoriam um, on the screen last night and was truly one of my favorites, he had this quote that said something along the lines of, sometimes you have an idea and it just glows. And I, I, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Like sometimes when I'm just in the pits writing in my sketchbook and I'm like fighting with my own brain to come up with an idea, something will appear and something inside of me knows that it's, I just hit the nail on the head with that one. And it's pretty rare. Normally I'm like, the night before I have to post, I'm looking at like 10 different ones and I'm like, oh, I think this one's funnier than this one. But sometimes I'll get an idea and I'm like, I know this is just right. And that is the best feeling in the world. And I feel like I'm constantly chasing it because it, it isn't like that happens every yeah. day or even every week. Yeah. 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 No, it is. It is the drug we chase. Is yeah. that, that the joy, that serotonin hit of having that spark hit. Yeah. Is there one that you really fought for, like that you really stuck with that sticks with you? Um, I think a recent one was... Um, it was like when I was younger, I wanted to be a pilot or the president. And now as an adult, there's just two panels where I'm like looking at a plant and I'm like, I want to grow a basil plant. It's like about how my old <laughs> I love that. That's great. Oh my God. I can relate to that because during the pandemic, I'm like, I'm going to grow tomatoes. Well, not very well, apparently. No, that's, I was... that's my role in the pandemic is to grow shitty tomatoes and give them to my neighbors. <laughs> so here's a question. Uh, I've seen I've talked to a lot of people about their creative process and everything, and it always amazes me. Me, my sketchbook is actually filled with a lot of words, a lot of written stuff, and then just some very light sketches because a lot of the visual stuff is happening up here, but the word stuff I got to keep straight, right? Oh, yeah. yeah and sometimes then, a key word is super critical. Right. Yeah. And then some people, it's all drawing. In fact, I heard somebody at one of these panels, they say, if you want to beat writer's block, just start drawing. Put a pencil to paper and the... Fr- was it you? 
Yeah, it was somebody. It was somebody smart. And they said, <laughs> so you don't look at John me. Don't look at me. They go, the first drawing is going to be terrible. The second drawing is going to be terrible. Right. All the way to the tenth. But you can't get to the tenth drawing without starting with the first drawing. You got to do that first terrible one to get to the tenth one. If I were to look in either one of your sketchbooks, would I see more illustrations or more words? Um, you would see more illustrations, but they would be at the level of a stick figure. <laughs> I do write, though. Sometimes I will literally write the sentence of what I want to write about. Yeah. I will write like write about and then have like a little list. So. And, and uh, now I think I heard somewhere you, you work on lined paper, right? You're not precious about your sketchbook. It's lined paper and, and you're not like, like. Oh, my gosh. Do you really? Yes. Like There's something paper. sort of sweet about that. Like yes. just like the kid in you is still like, nope, lined paper. That's all I need. <laughs> What's 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 the philosophy behind that? I I think you you said it, it needs to be as unprecious as right. possible oh, because yes. I I'll get all crazy about how things need to look perfect and I'll forget oh about God. writing the idea. So my sketchbooks are truly like. Can I ask you guys? Have you ever been gifted a beautiful sketchbook, <laughs> leather bound, oh and you're like, I can't draw on this too damn pretty. thing. Too this pretty. is too pretty. This yeah. paper's nice, but the back of the phone bill. Oh, I'm drawing on that thing all day long. <laughs> but the damn sketchbook, like, there's not a single sketch in that thing. I mean, are you the same way? I'm not. Uh, absolutely. You know, do you know how many? Even ones that I bought for me. Yeah. That are like empty. you paid the money for I it. Yeah. the money and I don't want to draw in it because it's nice. It's too yes. nice for my crap. So and, and, and it is full of, yeah, like the, the, the other ones, I, I, I work on yellow legal pad in the bath yeah. because I don't want anyone to ever... Yeah. yeah, because I want to be able to scrunch them up. It feels nice to scrunch up with yellow legal pad and I just want to throw it up. Oh, that's such a satisfying throw, oh, that the yeah. scrunch paper across the room. If I were to look into your sketchbooks, more illustrations, more words? Um, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a mix of both, but they had nothing to do with each other often. Some yeah. some of them are just to, to get away from yeah. an idea and come back to it later just to get my brain focused on something else. Yeah. Um, there are two things that I that changed my brain on that. One was going uh, seeing Richard Thompson's exhibition at the Billy Island. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. The sketch it like the pencils versus the cul-de-sac finishes. And um, also Pat Oliphant, um, his, his rough pencils, he didn't lightbox, he didn't trace, he, he had a sketchbook and he kind of figured out the puzzle and then he went and did a separate, he didn't, no lightbox, nothing, he went over and did it. Wow. And I remember just seeing, it's like you, you can see the image and the idea and everything and what he was figuring out, but then there's so much unwritten that was just up here, yeah. a shorthand that he had with, you know, himself. Wow. That, that changed my whole brain with that process. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, the thing about sketchbooks that blew my mind, cause I'm like both of you, I, I, it's very dashed off and unimportant to me as part of the process. Like at the end, I literally throw it across the room. But then I, at one point in my career, I heard that Robert Crumb traded three or four of his sketchbooks for a house in France. And I was like, I am doing this wrong, damn it. I did not know that was an option, that we could get a house in France. I didn't we traded know. our sketchbooks. Damn it. I did not know the currency of France was I know. sketchbooks. I, I, exactly. Don't ask, it's yours. Yeah, that's fine. You know what? You take it. That's great. Uh, but like, I, as soon as I found that out, I was like, what the? No one told me that was an option as a cartoonist. Keep your sketchbooks traded for a house. Would they accept scrunched up bits of yellow paper? <laughs> That's like the half dipped in scotch and bath water. Like, 
<laughs> you, can, you can get like a one bedroom in Perth for that. That'll be great. <laughs> studio. <laughs> so now I, I know you're going to the Baltimore Comic Convention next, right? And then after that, it's the Mothman Festival, right? Are you? Uh, what's that? Have you been to that before? Is this a new, uh, a first time? Tell us a little bit about the Mothman Festival. Yeah, my first time. I really wanted to go when Cryptid Club first came out, and we just couldn't make it happen. But I was determined. So now two years after the book has been out, I'm going. Yeah. And it's such a crazy, unique thing, like a whole festival around the Mothman. Right. Um, I'm, I've, I really don't know what it's going to be like. Um, I don't know if it will have anything in common with like my normal Comic-Con experience, but I am, I'm just... Yeah. Do you think there's no convention for the Fresno Walkers because it would be in Fresno? I mean, is that part of the problem why the, the Fresno Walkers never, they're like, we're not holding be, anything? There might be, and maybe Chuck, you can help me out with this because this is a, 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 this is a Philadelphia adjacent thing. But the movie The Blob, when there's that scene where they're running out of the theater, do you know the city that's in? Yeah. Yes, yes. They recreate that scene every year and have a, a blob fest every year wow. where they recreate running out of that movie theater. So, gang, not a lot to do in Philadelphia. Uh, not a lot going on. Hey, what if we recreated the scene from the blob, everyone? Anybody doing anything this weekend? Who's got jello? Who's got jello? Anybody? Let's do it. Come on, let's do it. Did you say Collegeville, Chuck? <laughs> Collegeville. We're good That's, at naming things well, in, Phil, in Philadelphia. Now, now go ahead, Chuck. Deliver the punchline. What's in Collegeville? That's right. There's a college there. <laughs> it just sounded like a really lame Facebook game. So, Jason, uh, uh, personal appearances, conventions, You, what do you got coming up? I do San Diego Comic-Con. I'm doing New York Comic-Con in October. I'm doing CXC. Yeah. Comics, one of the best. I, I, I go all the time, and I love it. Yeah. It's one of the best things I discover artists that I've never seen before. They have tabling there, um, and they have uh, great seminars, and they have the Billy Island Cartoon Museum and Library. Yeah. It's like Mecca for cartoon. It's amazing. So really I'm, those, I'm really looking forward to CXC this year. I'm speaking this year. It's going to be fun. Well, let me ask you maybe one final question for me anyway, is that um, we've all been nominated for different awards in our lives, and that's lovely, and the accolades are lovely, but um, Brad and I often talk about that one of the best awards in cartooning is getting one more year to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that in itself You get to is, do this for a yeah, living. Yeah, of all the millions of people in the world that we get to do this, and what a gift that is. But in, in a more aspirational tone for both of you, what... Over the coming decades, you're both young cartoonists. What would what would you like to do that maybe you haven't done yet in cartooning? Mm. For me, it's not so much cartooning. I would love to expand into different modes of writing. Like, I love podcasts. Actually, I, I listen to you guys while I'm working, but um, I love like stuff you should know. I, I love the. I'm a big researcher, and I was actually um, my minor in college was nonfiction writing. So I would love to, like, anything where I can research and then talk about it. For some reason, that's just my jam. But um, it's really hard to to go on tracks that are that different. Like, I've been very much in comics for a while. But basically, like, to sum it up, just nonfiction writing, a bit, bit more of that somehow. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Jason? Um, 
Uh, Follow that one, Jason. Yeah, no, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. More scotch. <laughs> Jason's like, I just want a bigger scotch. Yeah, Three boy. fingers this Sunday? Yeah, I don't Sunday know. Yet? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, so um, I guess it's, it sounds sad, but I, I'm framing it as an opportunity. My time doing Ginger Megs has now come to an end. I got my last paycheck last night. Oh, <laughs> oh congratulations. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's, it's been 16 years. It's been my full-time thing for 16 years. Yeah. And I had to... Congratulations, my thank friend. you, That's thank you, and again, do, getting yeah, to do it absolutely, one more year. congratulations. Was, thank you. Get, you're right. Getting to do it one more year was always the that was a gift, and uh, it was a privilege to do that that job. Um, uh, but. Uh, drawing in someone else's style was a real challenge for me. Yeah. I had to ape someone else's style for yes. my whole career, um, which is a challenge. And now I'm actually getting to do my own stuff um, in my own style on Substack, and I'm really enjoying it. And I'm writing more. I'm a big fan. Like, I never thought of myself as a writer. A cartoonist write, obviously, but I'd right. never thought of myself as a writer. But I, it's a really hard thing to do well. Mm-hmm. And I love good writing. I love David Sedaris and Hunter Thompson and and, and, and just good craftsmen, craftspeople of, the, of, the, of writing. And I'm, I really want to get better at that and then be able to illustrate my own writing <clears throat> and other people's. Like there's a thing I do on Substack called Your Shout where people send me in their New York like stories, just yeah. weird little things that happen yes. to them. And I illustrate them and I love it. It's what really delightful. fun. That's so- yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with that. I don't know that I've ever asked you, what what do you want to do in the in your decades to come as <laughs> you cartooning? You know what? I This was all, like you, this has always been, and I think like you from what I'm hearing, this has always been my one thing. This has been, I never wanted to be a firefighter or a doctor or a superhero. I just wanted to be a cartoonist. The fact that I'm doing this, we went off to, we were going to the award dinner tonight and my wife pulled me aside and she said, you know, she said if, if, if 2000 Brad Geiger could see this, yeah, he'd be amazed, you know? Yeah. That, I'm sorry. That came out of nowhere. Ah. Uh, I just want to keep doing this one more year, one more year. And then after that, one more year. And then after that, one more year. Yeah. And, and then someday come here and. Yeah. <laughs> now you got me choked up, you son of a bitch. <laughs> no. I'm not an emotional. I just want to draw. I'm not an emotional I want guy. my friend Brad to draw. <laughs> I don't know if you guys even mentioned this at the top of the show, but not only did you. You, were you nominees last night? Yeah, both of us, yeah. Both of you were nominees. You, you actually, and Sarah, you all presented last night. Yeah, yeah which was delightful. Thank and you for letting us do that. No, letting you, thank you for doing it. It was uh, something that I think is really important um, uh, to have you guys do that because yeah. um, kind of teasing some things that we have planned for the NCS, um, you know, I guess... The, the category newspaper comic strip. We've got to get rid of the word newspaper out of there. Mm. Comic strip. It's comics strips, you know? And, and online short form and online long form, they were created in, in, for, the good, for good reasons and to be inclusive, but I, now they kind of delineate the work in a, a different way, and I think they just need to be uh, considered within all the other categories. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
I, uh, well, since no one asked, I also wanted to say the thing that I wanted to. Yeah, no here's your chance to cry in front of people. <laughs> so I know in my life I've gotten to do uh, comic strips. I've gotten to do long form sci-fi, which is delightful. It's I'm a love. I got to do briefly in my early career political cartoons at yeah. the San Diego Union Tribune. The thing I want to do now, and it's so stupid, at some point in my career, before Disney closes up their print operation, <gasps> I want to do a backup story in Marvel. Oh, really? With Pacepot Pete, the villain <laughs> Pacepot Pete. Isn't he? It's the dumbest character that Stanley ever created. His name is Pacepot Pete, and he shoots paste. It is the dumbest villain. It's like, okay, I got a great idea for you, Jack. His name is Pacepot Pete, and he shoots paste. I'm done for today. Fantastic. I've been Stanley. Like, it is the dumbest character. Yeah. And I want to write a backup story for Marvel with Pacebot oh, Pete. It's oh, so. And I, now I want to see it happen. Now I want to see it I, happen. Like a, like a West Coast Avengers or whatever, what was it? Great Lakes Avengers. I want to do that yeah. kind of style of stupid Marvel. I think that before Disney closes it up, I want to do that. And that's my yeah. one last goal. <laughs> I believe in you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. So. I, I grew up in, in the Midwest, I, in a small town in Michigan called Bad Axe, very small town in the thumb of Michigan. And uh, this is starting to feel very familiar because sometimes when you're sitting with a friend who's a new friend or an old friend, uh, and the night's getting late and you just want it to keep going, and you got you, one more thing, one more thing, until finally, and if this is a Midwest thing, you know it happens, somebody goes, <laughs> Well, <laughs> and when you see the knee slap and you hear, well, you know it's about that time. <laughs> the, co the coffees go down on the center table. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure visiting you. I don't know why I went yep. south there. That was weird. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the adjustment of the pants. No, and I want to give a huge thank you to both Jason and Sarah for their time, their insight, and their talent over the years that you've both shared. Thank you for this time. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for thank this. You. Thank you. Thank you so Good night, much. everybody. Thank you. Bye, buddy. Travel safe home. With a huge shout out and a thank you to Jason and Sarah both for being such uh, amazing guests and for sharing your time, your knowledge and your kindness with us and with the audience. Uh, we, we thank you so much for being on the show. And that just means that it's time for me to say that you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evilcomic.com. And my good friend, Dave Kellett, the co-director of Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at TheWorldRecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. And if you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode like this one. We got a great review, Dave. I got to share it with you. Been listening to these guys for years now and had to leave a review. The show covers topics they go in depth from the creation side, the business side, as well as answering questions from listeners, which I've personally found incredibly valuable. It's my favorite podcast, and their advice has helped me a great deal over the past few years. I'd re recommend it to anyone who takes their art seriously and wants to get some insight from some experts in the field and have some laughs. That came in from our listener, Tail Pockets. 
Tail Pockets, thank you for the kind words. That genuinely warms our heart, and we appreciate it so much. And I will say Comic Lab is made possible by your support over at patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash comic lab. I want to know whether your brain works like mine. When Jason said Scotch Bath Sunday, what's the first image that came into your mind? I, I okay, honestly, a Scottish man in a bathtub. <laughs> I immediately thought of an ice cream with butterscotch syrup all the way, like a moat, all the way around it instead of on top of it, so it would be a Scotch Bath Sunday. What I think this what this shows is that both of us are terrible at the English language. <laughs> and both of us need a good glass of Laphroaig at the end of the night. I, I think we could both use a Scotch Bath Sunday is what this is. That's right. Us. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>